So I don't know who uh, put this water on this table. First of all, I hope it was for me because I'm about to drink it. And uh, secondly, I appreciate you because I had one and then I just realized I drank it all. So whoever that was, you're the best, all right? If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Jason Durant and uh, I am absolutely excited, blessed, feel honored uh, to be the lead pastor of Dublin Bible Church, and I uh, just need to start today by saying um, how thankful we are for you, how evident your love has been. Um, when we backed up a 26-foot moving truck to our house, and there were people all over the place, and the whole thing was unpacked, and not just unpacked and sat in places, but like beds were put together. I, I looked at Jamie several times that day and was like, I can't believe this, right? And so um, you have literally carried our burdens. Um, some of our furniture was heavy. And uh, we appreciate you so much for that and just want you to know that the love of Christ is seen um, very clearly through your love for, for me and, and for our family. Right? And so thank you so much. We're so excited to be here today. If you want to go ahead and turn in your copy of the scriptures, if you have that with you or pull it up on your device, uh, if not, we'll have it on the screen in just a few moments. We're, we're going to look in just a few moments at one verse today, which is, which is really a rarity for me that almost never happens uh, I even wrestled with God a little bit about it. Like, man, we need to talk about more, right? And so if you're, you're like, hey, I love one verse, uh, probably won't be that next week, right? If you hate it, come on back next week because it probably won't be, right? But one verse in 1 Peter chapter 3 in just a few minutes. As you're pulling that up, I'll share with you that in a couple of previous churches, uh, I may have even shared when I was here candidate weekend, that in a, in a couple of different churches, I've had multiple opportunities to go and, and share the gospel and love on some people in Jesus' name in the remote mountains of Ecuador. And I'll never forget, uh, I had been there before, but on my first trip to go as a team lead who was responsible for all the petty cash on the plane and who was responsible for knowing where we're supposed to be, when, and who the translator is and all these different details. I, I remember there was a, a day or two before we were to leave, we found out the hotel we were going to stay at the first night in the big city because there are no hotels where we were going. Right? The, the, the hotel we were to stay in, something went wrong there. We couldn't stay at that hotel. And so they said, you'll, you'll meet your, your driver there at the airport. He'll have a sign, and we'll have a hotel worked out for you. And I said, great. And, and so we walk off the airplane, and, and we finally find our guy. And it becomes apparent really clearly that he speaks about as much English as we do Spanish. All right? And so I, I, don't, I don't know if you've been in that place before with the language barrier, but you continually kind of repeat the things you do know how to say. And so he was a very nice guy. He was smiling a lot, very just patting our shoulders, trying to encourage us. But the thing that he kept saying over and over again as we made this probably almost two-hour drive from the airport where, where we were staying that night, uh, and it's, it's like 12 o'clock midnight at this point, long day, he, he kept saying over and over again with a big smile, uh, take you to Hotel de Nasty. <laughs> and the first time he said it, I was like, it's late, long day, right? I'm stressed. It's fine, right? But then he kept saying it because it was like the only thing he tried to communicate to us to encourage us, take you to Hotel the Nasty, right? And, and I'm sitting in the front as the team lead. There's three or four people in the back seat behind me, and I'm looking for an opportunity to kind of look over back at them like, is he saying what I think he's saying? Because this doesn't sound right. And he just keeps going. He's proud of his English. I'll take you to Hotel the Nasty, right? And I'm like, man, what, what, the nasty? Like, how bad does it have to be? Right? Like, we couldn't have named it like the hotel lesser than desirable, right? Would have been good. The hotel, the a little smelly. It's hotel, the nasty. And I'm, I'm freaking out at this point. Like, I might rather stay at Hotel Park Bench, right? Outside. <laughs> uh, there are things worse than open air, right? And so I'm, I'm freaking out inside. I'm in charge of these people. We finally pull up at this hotel and written really big on the front of the hotel, which was pretty nice for that area, was Hotel Dynastia, right? <laughs> Spanish for dynasty, 
right? Which means big and nice and impressive. And he was trying to tell me that in English, but he kept telling me we were going to Hotel the Nasty, and I was concerned, right? right? He was trying to encourage us. I've laughed several times thinking back to that night. He was trying so hard to encourage us and make us feel good as weary travelers, but, but all of that encouragement was lost on us because we just really didn't know what he was saying, right? right? You, you know that moment when, when maybe you forget the meaning of something, Right? Or, or maybe you've never known the meaning before and you know you're supposed to be uplifted, but it's really not doing it for you. Right? Maybe, maybe you've gotten a new piece of technology. Right? Some of you are, I'm starting to feel part of the older generation because technology is making less and less sense to me the longer I live. Right? But right, you got that thing and you knew it was supposed to be the super cool thing and people were telling you that you could airdrop with it and you could do all this. And you're like, air, I can airdrop with this. I don't know what an airdrop, right? Like if I airdrop, is that good or is that going to be a bad thing? Right? Like it's all this stuff and it's supposed to be great and you're trying to be, but it's, I don't, I'm not sure. Right? Never heard of it. Need somebody to explain it. Right? Or maybe it's just that we need a reminder sometimes right, of, of central meaning, the things that matter in our lives. It's happened probably in many of our families where you get to go in so fast, right? This practice, that meeting, this responsibility, work, that obligation, and we're all moving in different directions. But have you ever had that moment where maybe it wasn't even planned, but it just so happens that you're all in the same room at the same time, sitting still, maybe watching a favorite show and you're laughing together? You had that moment and something clicks in your mind and in your heart and it's like this is what family about. Family is about people, right? It's about loving each other. It's not about all the activity as good as some of that stuff is, right? It can, it can happen in different ways, but the reality is this, is that impact is minimized when we lose meaning, right? When we start to drift from an understanding of the central things, right, the things like family, awesome benefits like technology, when we start to drift away from the understanding of what the good is, the further we drift, the less it's going to impact our hearts in the positive way it was designed to, right? And so for a few weeks, we're going to be in this Bible study series that, that we're calling The Same Page, right? And it seems fitting and timely that as you've been journeying as a, for a long time as a church, and, and I started my journey with Jesus a long time ago, but now we're, we're kind of journeying together today. We're starting this journey together. seems timely and fitting that we would start this series to say, hey, what are kind of the foundational things? What are some things that the Bible talks about over and over again, right? And, and let's say that we're on the same page, right? But, but hear this today. If you're not a part of Dublin Bible Church, or even if you're not a believer in Jesus, by the way, you're not an enemy here. We're so glad you're here. Right? Maybe you're somebody sitting here going, everybody here thinks that I am a follower of Jesus, but I'm not sure I am. Right? No matter how you come, right, you can be helped by refocusing back on these core ideas from Scripture and refreshing what they actually mean. Because as we walk through these words, you're going to see that they're words that we have an idea of, and we may even have a united central idea, but, but there's also some other stuff attached to them. Right? So the word for today is gospel, right? If I were to go out in public or even go into several churches, right, and ask, what is the gospel? What does the gospel mean? We would get varied answers, right? And some of them would probably be more accurate than others. Some of them would be good but not complete. Some of them would probably be completely missing. I remember being on a mission trip one time and talking to a guy uh, that was working at Walmart. He was cleaning the buggies out of the sack, and, and we started to ask him if he knew Jesus. And he said, yeah, I, I'm part of that church right over there. And every time we try to talk about God, he talked about church. And I'm like, wait, we're talking about Jesus, though, right? His idea of what it was to trust the gospel was to show up in a building regularly, right? 
Some people might say, well, hey, God loves bad people. And that's absolutely true. The gospel is not less than that, but the gospel is more than that, right? So, some people might say that, that, hey, Jesus died on the cross to save me, right? And, and so now I'm trying to live in a way that pleases God, so I'll be accepted one day into heaven. That's, that's not the gospel. Part of it is and part of it's not, right? I once had the conversation with a girl that I was soon to baptize. I was like, hey, I want to refresh why we're doing this baptism thing. You remember what this is about? And she was a young girl, a new believer, and she said, yeah, I'm getting in there so that my sins will be washed away. And it was a great moment, right, for us to have a great conversation, and she ended up being baptized. But, hey, listen, that's not what's happening, right? Jesus took care of the sin, right? The water is showing what he's done. Jesus took care of it, right? So all that to say, we could ask what is the gospel, and we might hit on some of the same notes, but we also might have some different flavors. And so I want us to look today at at a verse that I think will help us grasp what the gospel centrally is, right? You might have some different things you would pepper in that could be true, but but we got to have these things, right? And you don't have to use my definition, okay? From time to time, I'll share a working definition because I'm big on knowing what I'm talking about when I'm reading a word. It doesn't help me to read the word and not know. So I have to have something in my mind. When I'm talking about the gospel, you can take it or leave it. But when I'm talking about the gospel, I'm talking about the fact that the holy God rescued sinful people through the sacrifice of his solely sufficient son. That's a bunch of S's and it was on accident, all right? So if you're a fan of alliteration, don't, don't think a lot more is coming, right? The gospel, when I think about the gospel, I'm thinking about the fact that the holy God rescued sinful people through the sacrifice of his solely sufficient son. See, the gospel starts with God. Gospel is a word that's over 90 times used in the New Testament. It says that Jesus went to preach the gospel, right? If it's something that Jesus came as a central aim of of his ministry, we should pay attention. Paul uses it over and over to talk about how he struggles for the gospel, He talks about how he wants to preach the gospel. He talks about the value of the gospel. It's a central word, and and I'm thankful that it seems roughly 20 years ago our country seemed to wake up to the the centrality of the gospel in Scripture. That's great, right? There are times when it may be used as as an adjective too much, right, to describe a thing, right? But in the overall, it's good for us to know it's there. So so what does it mean? What is it about? We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Again, I said we're just going to look at one verse to let you know what's going on. The guy who wrote this is a guy named Peter. Right, So context clue from the top of the page where it says 1 Peter. Right, He wrote it. Right, And the first verse tells us that he wrote it to the elect exiles in dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Right? All that's big, fancy, long uh, terms for the places. He, he's writing this to people who either spiritually or physically, I don't think we can be sure, but in, in spiritual sense for sure and possibly geographically, they're exiles. They don't, they're not living at home anymore. They're not in a place where everything's comfortable and feels right and makes sense because they're Christians living in a world that's broken, right? And he writes this letter to encourage them in their struggles and tell them how to persevere in suffering. If you read First Peter, you're going to read a whole lot about what it is to strain and suffer and how Jesus will carry you through that, right? And that's kind of what he has said as we lean into verse 18. For, for context, if you look at 17, it says it's, it's good for us to suffer, right? It's good for us to suffer in honor of Christ. It's kind of what he said in 17. And then he's going to turn from our suffering and give us our example for suffering and our motivation for suffering as he turns to Jesus. But we're going to see maybe one of the most succinct and and crisp clarifications, I guess, of of the gospel. In verse 18, it says this. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, 
being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirits. Right? See, first of all, you see that the gospel starts with God. Right? It tells us that when Jesus died, he didn't die just to forgive us of sins. He didn't, he didn't die just for some of the reasons that we often say. There was this chasm. There was this separation. It says he died to bring us to God. Right? Because God is holy. And we are not. So that means that there has to be a separation, a difference. Did you understand that when the Bible talks about holiness, it talks about it sometimes in relationship to God, and then it talks about it sometimes in relationship to us. And those two things are not exactly the same. Right? When the Bible says that God is holy, it's saying there is none other like him, that he is absolutely perfect in all of his perfection, in all of his ways, all the time. Right? And when you're perfect in all of your ways, that means that you can't be near sin because the moment you intimately associate with it, you're no longer holy. You're no longer you. And that's not us. My, my best friend told me once when one of his sons was a toddler, he got him whatever snack he wanted, like a pudding cup or something, I think. And, and he sat it there for him at the little table he was sitting at. And he said, it just warmed my heart so much because he said, Dad. He said, yeah, buddy. He said, you the best, Dad. He said, man, how sweet. He said it was about three seconds later. He said, Dad. He said, yeah. He said, but I the best too, Dad. Right? <laughs> the reality for you and I is this, is that there can't be two bests, Right? The word best is singular, meaning one. There can only be one best. There can only be one holy God, right? In the way that he is perfectly holy. He is holy. He won't associate with sin in an intimate way, right? Because the moment that he's touching and, and dabbling and, and has sin in there with him in his essence, he's no longer who he used to be, right? He's not holy anymore. I had a friend that worked at, at a restaurant, I believe it was Outback in college, and he was a server, and he said he made good tips, but he said, I lose a lot of my tips because I won't fold the cloth napkins. I was like, dude, what are you talking about? And he said, man, I don't know what it is. I just, it's a phobia. It's a thing. I didn't know I had it until I started working there. Those nice cloth napkins, I just cannot touch those without wanting to throw up, right? <laughs> so he would give some of his tip money to this other person Right, so that they would touch his cloth napkins and fold them for him because he just absolutely was not going to have anything to do with the cloth napkins. He would not touch it. Right? Our God is holy. Right? Our God is holy, and he goes, I will not have anything to do with sin. That's the start of the story of the gospel. And it's why you and I didn't just need a certificate of forgiveness we needed someone who could take us into the presence of God, cloaked and wrapped in their own righteousness. Right? It says that when Jesus died to bring us to God, he did that at the beginning of verse 18. When he suffered once for sins, who is he? The righteous. For who? The unrighteous. Right? The righteous for the unrighteous, the one who does get holiness exactly right. If you're thinking about the word righteousness, what does that mean? You can just zone in on the front part of the word right. <laughs> Always gets it right. Does it perfectly. He is the righteous one. And I pray that I in my life and I pray that we in our lives as the church would never get to the point that we would not be able to sing amazing grace. And think that it's truly amazing. I pray that we would never get to the point where it's commonplace and, and we yawn to think about, well, yeah, I know Jesus died for me on the cross. The righteous one who was perfect, who had no guilt and penalty, went and died with joy set before him at setting captives like you and I free. He died on a cross and it was painful. 
Remember the last time that you hurt physically, right? I've got a little boo-boo. You probably can't see it from there. I burned myself on a hot metal U-Haul trailer yesterday, right? And in the moment, I thought, I don't know if my church would like how angry I am right now that I just did this, right? It didn't feel good. I was not happy, right? Right? That was one little metal burn. Jesus took beatings and lashings and spit in his face, mocking He did all that with joy set before him. The righteous came and gave his life. And I know you've heard that story because you live in the South. And you've heard that story because you're part of a church. And you've heard that story hopefully because you've trusted in Jesus. But listen, I heard a pastor say a long time ago, and he hit the nail on the head, the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A through Z, right? There's not a point where we move on from the gospel into the things that are more important and impactful, right? Everything in scripture is preparatory, predictive, resultant, reflective of the gospel. The Old Testament prepares us for the gospel, showing us our inability to live up to God's holiness. Right? It predicts Jesus coming in prophecy. The New Testament results and reflects, right? It shows us how to live, how to reflect what Jesus has done for us. Jesus came as the righteous one, and it was the only way. Right? Do you see that it says that Christ suffered the righteous for the unrighteous, that being us? We'll get to that a bit more in a second. But he did that once for sins. Once, right? And I'm saying this to you not just so that you'll have some kind of intellectual framework of salvation in your mind, but so that you can live every day with joy. I just want to say this clearly to you. Your sin has been paid for in the past and in the future and in the present and forever, and it never has to be paid for again. Not by Jesus, not by you. Right? In the moments where you can't imagine coming close to God because you've drifted so far from him, you've ignored him, your sin is so heavy in your life that you can't fathom that he would want you to be near him, right? I'm a believer. That, that's us working from the mindset that we still have to pay something, we still have to do something to be able to come into the presence of God, right? And the reality for us, follower of Jesus, is this, is that we come into the presence of God through the action of repentance led by faith. But the only reason we get to get there to the presence of God is because of what Jesus has already done. It's paid for. It's finished. When you're beating yourself up and can't figure out what's the next step, when you knew it was the wrong step or the wrong 17 steps as a follower of Jesus and you took them anyway. I'm not encouraging us to drift from the Lord. I'm not encouraging us to a lack of faithfulness, but I am encouraging us to hear that we serve a God whose arms are always open, longing, watching, eager for his children to return because Jesus hung on the cross as the righteous one for the sake of the unrighteous. (laughs) That needs to change our heartbeat towards God. It needs to change the way that we think about him. Does God have standards for our life? You betcha. Right? But does God know that we're not going to meet those and that's why he sent Christ to the beginning? With? You betcha. Right? If God only accepts you when you're perfect, you're never going to be accepted by God. God accepts you because Jesus is righteous and he gave his life for the unrighteous. And despite what other religious messages may say, despite what media may tell us and culture may tell us, there's, there's no other way to arrive upon peace in life than to know God through faith in Jesus. <laughs> there's not another way. Some of you have heard maybe that I'm an Alabama fan. Right? <laughs> Shane tried to tell me the shirt thing wasn't on purpose, and then his son came in with a Georgia shirt, and I was like, look, man. 
Like, you, you keep selling that. I'm not buying it, right? <laughs> I'm an Alabama fan. We won't talk about that here every week, I promise, because some weeks I'll go on vacation, all right? But I'm an Alabama fan. I'm a fan, and I had an even bigger fan who's like a member of, of some kind of super donor thing that, that I got connected to and got to know him a little bit, and he took me to the, the zone, which is like the fan experience of all fan experiences, right? And as we were walking in, I remember he handed me my ticket, and we walked in and handed it to him, and we walked in, went up in the elevator. There's food all over the place like you've never seen. It looked like Golden Corral just blew up in there, right? Right, there's stuff all over the place. It's free, right? Sodas and waters and all kinds of power. You just come get whatever you want anytime you want it. And then you walk out this nice little glass door and your seats are just right there in the stadium. It was so sweet. It was so sweet. <laughs> right? But look, here's what I thought about. I remember thinking this when I was sitting there. If I didn't know this guy, right? If I didn't know him, no chance I'm ever sitting here, right? Zero chance I'll ever have the money to be that kind of donor. Zero chance that I would ever probably use it on this, right? Zero chance that I'm ever a part of this, but I get to come through the door. There's literally security guards standing at this one little entrance in the back. It felt so cool and shady at the same time. <laughs> There's tons of people walking in other places, and he's like, no, 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 we go back here. I was like, well, yeah, we do, right? <laughs> we walked to this, there's, there's security guards. They're not letting you in if when they scan your thing, it doesn't beep, Right? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whose granddaddy you know or who used to play for the Tide. You're not going in unless you have this ticket, and it's authentic. The Bible says that we're the unrighteous. That in and of ourselves before Jesus, and even in and of ourselves after we meet Jesus, it says that all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Even our best, even the best things that we have to offer him in comparison with his righteousness, they're filthy rags. Before Jesus and when knowing Jesus, there is one way to come into the presence of God, and his name is Jesus. Right? Remembering meaning has a way of inspiring joy in our hearts and moving our feet to walk with the Lord, doesn't it? He's already done everything that has to be done. He only had to do it once. It says he suffered one time. There are things in life you only have to do once and then they're done, right? One time is all it takes. You've either done it or you haven't done it. I, I for instance, one time let my wife cut my hair. Right? <laughs> it's going on a mission trip the next day. She sat in our den. We didn't have kids yet. We didn't have anything to do. Said, I feel like I needed I should have got a haircut. She said, I'm, I can do it, Right? She said later, I've never been more confident about a thing in my life and produced less quality, right? <laughs> when she was finished cutting my hair, right, I was like in sync when they started. I had like the little gel things, like three or four strings, and then everything else was flat. There was a hump in the back. I don't know what was happening, right? I literally took out the electric clippers and just went, well, I'm going this route, right? I only had to do that once, right? Love her. She's amazing. She's not touching this head, right? I got hair disappearing at, at an abnormal rate in the last couple of years. She's definitely not getting any of them, right? One time, one time changed my whole reality, my whole perspective. Once Jesus died for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And when he did that, that one time, he did everything that had to be done. I, I want to make sure you hear this today, that when we say that Jesus has rescued us. We're not talking about some help, right? 
We weren't people who were good but also had some bad, and we needed God to step in through Jesus and help us a little bit, right? We weren't 80% of the way we needed to be, and we needed Jesus to die to loan us 20, right? It wasn't 95 and 5 or 99 and 1. We didn't need help. We needed rescue, and there's a difference, right? I needed help in the last couple of days from a buddy packing stuff into a trailer, right? But had he not come, first of all, I was not in any peril of losing my life. And secondly, I could have packed it by myself. It just would have been long and not fun, right? He came to help me, and I'm very glad he did, right? You came to help us move into our house, and I'm so thankful that you did. But when we think about our journey with Jesus, help is not what we need. We need rescue, absolute. Probably a year or so ago, my my daughter Paisley walked through the room one time. I don't think I've shared this with you. I don't know. But she, she walked through the room one, one time, and I was in my bedroom, and she said, hey, you want to go to Walmart with me? Now, she's 11, right? <laughs> at that time, she was 10, maybe 9. She, she walks through into the bathroom that's connected to our master bedroom at that point, and she goes, you want to go to Walmart with me? And I was like, I, guess, I just wasn't expecting the question, you know? So I was like, I, um, I, get, I guess, you know? And then I thought for a second, right? And I, I woke up to the reality you're on board with already, I can tell. I said, wait a minute, who's driving you to Walmart? And she said, you? <laughs> well, wait a minute. So you're not inviting me to go with you. You're saying you can't go unless I take you there, right? And I just want you to hear that, that man, when Jesus brings us into the presence of God, he didn't just give us a hand up. He's not picking us up under, under our little bottoms and lifting us up to the high cabinet that we couldn't reach, but we were close, And if we think that as we start our relationship with Jesus, or if we allow that kind of thinking to creep into our minds and hearts, then in the moments when it's hard, in the moments when life is beating us, and in the moments when we feel like we're failing spiritually, we'll call out to God, but we may also think that we have to work our hardest first. Right? Right? We'll we'll have some kind of skewed line between what am I supposed to do and what is he supposed to do, right? As opposed to being people who cry out to our loving Father to help us and experience his rescue again and again in our lives. The gospel, as best I know how to say it, as best I could take what's here in this verse and, and try to push it out there, is just this, that the holy God rescued. He absolutely rescued sinful people through the sacrifice, the pain, the agony of his solely sufficient son. There's nobody else who could do it. There's no other way that can make it happen. And when we read scripture over and over again in the New Testament and we see gospel, they're not just saying, hey, God's good. They're not just saying, hey, God will be kind to you. They're saying, look at this life-altering reality that is Jesus, the only way, giving his life for you. That's what has happened for you, and that is the basis for everything else that will flow out of your life. Do you live that way perfectly every day? Do I live that way perfectly every day? Absolutely not, right? When, when I got home from several days out of town last night and my, my family was on their way home and our air conditioning was broken, right? All right? I'm just being honest with you. My first thought was not, let me bow to praise the Father for the broken. Uh, I mean, I'm, that may be what your pastor, you want him to have, but my first thought was like, what is this? Right? right? I don't live it perfectly. You don't live it perfectly. But the aim of our heart should be this, to have all at the Savior who has sacrificed himself for us, 
rescued us from our helpless hopelessness. And therefore, we desire to live for him and honor him, show him to the world, and see him with our hearts in everything that we do. Is that your life? Right? Today, are there certain areas of your life that maybe God's Spirit, as, as we've been opening God's Word and discussing it, maybe God's Spirit's just been nudging you in the heart a little bit. Hey, here are some places where you've been trusting yourself too much. And you can push that across the table to me and let me handle it. Hey, here are some areas where you're experiencing defeat because you've forgotten that the ultimate say-so and the ultimate declaration has already been done once and that's all it had to be done. How do we need to respond to this word from God? How do we want to live our life to respond to this gospel? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus by faith, I'm not saying you know Bible verses or any of that. I'm talking about do you walk with God in a relational way where you interact with him, expecting him to share his life with you? You share your life with him. Do you know God through faith in Jesus? If you're here today and you don't, listen, don't leave this place without letting us know if we can help you. Nobody's going to push you anything. Nobody's going to force you into anything. All right? If we can answer questions and pray with you, we'd love that. If we can be part of the start of the the journey, we'd love to be part of that. Whatever it is we can do to help you. If you're here today and you're not sure that you know Jesus by faith, let us know that. Write it on a card, right? Fill it out on the Connect card online if you want to do that. Come find me when we're done. There's ice cream afterward, but I would much rather talk with you about Jesus than eat all the ice cream in the world, I promise. If you're here today you don't know him, don't do nothing with that reality. If you're here today and you do know him, you are loved by the one who gave his righteous life. For your unrighteous life. That should make our hearts swell. That should lead us to live for him with gladness. With great zeal. How do we respond today? Let's pray. Father. Right now you, you listen to my prayers. Purely and only because I come in Jesus' name and covered by Jesus' blood. Thank you so much, God. Thank you so much for the acceptance that we have permanently and perfectly with you because of Jesus. I pray, God, that in all of our complexity and all the places that our minds are twisted up and trying to figure life out, that, that you would help us in those places, but that you would first draw us back to the simple gospel. And you would ignite our hearts fresh in you to live in response to it. God, I pray that you would give us hearts that are sensitive to the leadership of your spirit, that even now in this moment that our hearts would burn within us as you prompt us, lead us, Lead us to repentance, God, because we know joy is on the other side. Your honor is on the other side. Show us how we respond to your word today, God. Let us be a church who gets it absolutely imperfectly, but who obviously radiates a care and concern for you because you set us free. Make it true of us individually. Make it true of us together. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.